Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Every other week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 107 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievenin. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. Alright, so we're back again, back again. I know, Saturday morning. Saturday morning. here at the studio. Got, we're all coffeeed up. Ready to rock. We're in the process of getting coffeeed up in my case, but it's been it's it's, good, it's good. Yeah, it's been pretty it's been it's nice in the back here, in the in the back bar. Uh it's it's uh I don't know if we talk I don't think we've we've talked about this on an episode yet, but we had we had a reading here. We had our first uh event uh a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah. and we had a cool reading. It was like fifty poets or fifty people were here. Um I would say about at uh at the studio on OC Haley. Uh, and uh, it was a good, well-attended reading, and it was a bunch of, uh, it was a group, a grouping of queer poets, and uh, I thought it was a good vibe. It was a good, it was a, definitely a good scene, a real different, diverse, cross, sort of pollinated type scene. It was, it was very, it was very different um, than almost any other poetry reading I've ever been to or attended or hosted or anything. I thought it was a different group, uh, grouping of people, which I found really quite refreshing. Because it was just new energy, and I always like to see meeting yeah. people in the world of poetics and poetry. And I it, wish I wish we could have convinced some of them to to be to talk. We we had the recording equipment set up, but none of them were ready to do that at that time. Yeah, maybe it was just like the it, nervousness but. of the evening and 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 um, put it, putting it together and and all the folks. But I think we'll have uh, I think we'll be able to get Simmons and Nora back. Uh, at some point to re uh, record or to record an actual proper episode talking about that and and that that uh, that world of queer poetics and and just how they engage with it because I feel as though what what so the, and there was a couple of magazines associated with Pinko these? was a magazine that uh, I guess they run it's a, a, a communist um, poet Pinko mag let me see if I can. Well, we don't need to get. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, they're online. The you know, they have but, uh, a, they have I a. I mag- thought we'd mention it because they had those laid out. I mean, it was a pretty successful event, I think. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, pinko dot online. They have a, they have a whole they have a, a submission thing here, and and um, and uh, they have a uh, I think they've raised some money, and they have a little magazine that they do. So um, they had some copies of another magazine, and uh, yeah. I, I just thought it was refreshing and different and not the same, you know, type of general general vibe. I thought it was like a real community that came out and uh, supported uh, each other. And it, I thought it was, again, it was like a brand new grouping of people that I've never really seen engaged in the poetry world. And it was a little punk and it was a little rough around the edges and it was it was nice. I thought I thought it was, uh, again, it was just, it wasn't this, uh, I don't know who's listening to our podcast, but I don't know if it's a bunch of the same people who listen to our podcast all the time or if it's a bunch of New Orleans people, but it just wasn't the same people that you see at every poetry reading every time. Yeah, for no, me, that think, was refreshing. That's, good. that's what I'm trying to say. But um, been in the studio a lot, um, working. Uh, I've, we, I've got a little project I'm starting up with, with Megan. Okay, Burns. and Megan's going to be at the next one of these. Yeah, we're going to have um, there's with, with, to spoken, be, with to be determined. Spoken word journey. Spoken word, Jane. She's gonna come and and and, and drop her new book. Um, uh, I met these these this poet and her uh, partner uh, from. They just moved to New Orleans from New York, and um, where they have been active in the poetry community for decades. And uh, it's it's more of like the poetry community as it crosses over into sort of like the jazz poetry world. And they're friends with John Sinclair, and mm-hmm. they were friends with Steve Dalachinsky, and they you know they're they're the new they're like New York poet folks and. They were sort of that that crossover with the slam scene, and Jane, Jane told me an interesting story. It'd be, it'd be it's gonna be nice to have her uh, here uh, as the co-reader with that uh, the next uh, event that we're gonna have with Megan, because Jane was just telling me some funny stories about uh, reading at the Lizard Lounge years ago. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like and like how you know she was like she walked in there and you know she's she's an older female poet and and uh, she kind of walked in there and they're and they're and they're kind of like you know. You know, do you know how to slam? And she's like <laughs> looking at them like, come on. And they're like, hey, you sure you know how to slam? You know what slam poetry is? And she got up there and just slayed the crowd, just totally slayed the crowd. And, and um, 
Uh, but her her partner play, makes basses. He actually makes bass guitars. Oh, he makes them. Yeah, okay. he makes them and designs them and makes them. And then and then they have like a, they play some shows at Sidebar Nova, which is like the yeah, more experimental yeah. music music venue now on Tulane or just off Tulane. And uh, and uh, I think they might do a, a, a words and sound. They might do a bass and, and poetry thing, or he might That'd be a cool. drummer cool, and bass. Yeah. So yeah, so we're gonna do we're gonna do an event uh, on the 11th um, Friday, the 11th of October. But and they uh, just moved to town. You said, they huh? just moved to town a few months ago. Yeah, and uh, they actually live in St. Joe, uh, St. Joe's. And um, but yeah, but they're just from that New York poetry world. And um, and you mentioned they knew Steve Dalachinsky. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but um, what I was gonna say before we get into the, that, I was gonna say um, yeah. So I'm working on this thing with Megan. Where um, we're gonna do, where it's like sort of experimental approach to using some archive, uh, archive um, content uh, in the uh, in the production of a poetry book, and um, we're, we're we're kind of it's interesting because I think like when you um, access the archive, you know, you never know where you're gonna see your poetry, and like we've we we, we eventually we'll do a longer episode on on, on poems in the, from the archive. But what's interesting is that like there is poetry wrought throughout there's poetry like in in this in this like in this archive like it's everywhere and and it's like where you don't expect it like there's poems in advertisements and there's poems in um like sometimes you see weird graphic layouts and yeah, but there's yeah. a lot of poems and ads you know and there's like poetry that just shows up just in general like randomly like at at random in like the back page and stuff and i think we've talked about this before but i think like i think they must have had poems set and they didn't know where they were going to put them in the layout, and they just get dropped in wherever they fit. Sure. Yeah. And that was like that was filler. That was one of the things that they they did in the filler. And Megan and I actually were like looking through dozens of papers this last week, and we actually found some pretty good poems, like in in like in the one of the papers from like 1910 or something. And it was we both I read them out loud, and she was like, "Wow, that's actually pretty good." And it was again like you never know like. Some of these, it might have just been a random one-off where it was just like somebody who submitted a poem. Maybe we don't even. Maybe that's the only two poems that person's ever had published. But uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I, I'm 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 hopeful after finding more poems that there might be some cool things. But we're gonna. It, it's a different thing that we're we're playing with. We're playing with this idea. But that's not what y'all are doing. Y'all taking are making, graphics. Yeah, yeah, we're taking graphics and different pieces of things that that she found in the in the poetry. Anywhere from like a menu. Something that's like, here's your menu for the weekend, all the way up to, you know, taking an advertisement and breaking it apart and taking certain parts of the copy and maybe using one part of the copy for the title of the poem and then maybe erasing some of it and then maybe using a graphic for another piece of it. So we're going to take this idea of, of, um, of found work in the archive and break it open and, and just have her play, you know, be at play with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting um, game or interesting game uh, interesting process that we're going through and it's kind of game it's a good gamify um i think that there's actually potential for a writing through the archives type uh pedagogy where where you know maybe we train students on doing archival research and um and then maybe uh, i'm thinking of a project i want to do with lsu where we train students with our, on our in archival research and then and then and then we give them access to to resources and then they can go in and... Well, there's just so much content. There's so many things you dig. can do with it. And certainly there are poetry applications that oh, absolutely. you can use it for. I mean, a in all kinds of different ways. Uh, absolutely. I think it, I, I, I still think what remains to me, the, the biggest, one of the, like, the untouched things that eventually we'll get to is like, I think there could be, you know, depending if we do it by day or by... However, we end up doing it, whether it's by day or whether it's or by year or whatever it is. I think there's going to be a lot of poetry that we're going to find. I'm not going to say there's going to be like a ton of amazing poetry, but well, maybe I don't know. But I was I was thinking more of somewhat. like as far as generating poetry from the content. There's a lot of ways that that could be done. Definitely, that would be interesting. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I'm curious to put a collection together, like some gems, and I don't know It's where... kind of like a historical flarf. <laughs> wow, I didn't, I didn't think that this conversation was going to go that way, but historical flarf. <laughs> huh. No, I don't know. It's not really like that, but I mean, 
We'll have to we'll have to we'll have to dial up the we'll have to dial up the LA poets. We'll have to we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to call Matt Timmons and see um what they uh what that crew thinks about some like historical flarf. But no, I think you could be right. I think I think that there could be some historical flarf, especially <laughs> It's fun to say. Historical flarf. <laughs> well, you know, like I mean, even I think some of the the poems and the advertisements are like pretty well, no, but I mean, spammy. But it is also like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff. But, but it's also like, I mean, which is really, I mean, all Flarf was like a rehash of da da surrealism anyway, except using the internet, I guess. But I mean, it does kind of go back to the idea of, I mean, you think of like da da and surrealist experiments using newspapers, and not that that's the only way to do it. But that they loved using content from newspaper because similar to like how the internet does it, newspapers were the first place where you had all these different kinds of content mixed together into one place, right? Uh, so it's interesting if you take pieces of all of them, it is this strange collage mishmash of all these different things. And But they would just do it with, you know, the, the day's newspaper, but we're sitting among thousands of... <laughs> Thousands of those. hundreds of thousands of sides like, of uh, hundreds of thousands of sides yeah. of newsprint. Yeah. So there are a lot of a lot of interesting applications of that. I mean, or it also could be like for someone who wants to do something more traditional. I think there's also like if you wanted to actually delve into writing a poem, an in-depth poem about some event that's lesser known. There's plenty of that in there too. You know. I've always th I've thought a lot about this, and I've thought a lot about like how I could take historical things and turn it into poetry, and and uh, historical content and turn that into poetry, and um, you know uh, my 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 dr my dream or my my goal with this I don't say my dream but like my um, <laughs> like uh, the idea behind it is figure out my concept and execute really well and then and then get the and then get the, the book published by like LSU Press as like a po as like well, po you did poetry of Louisiana historical, yeah. you know in historical. the right way it could be done for sure this is something to look into uh, I think maybe for a future episode does anything come to mind when you when when I say like a poet who worked through a historical book or or, or historical work to create a book well, of poems? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people who sort of have done... I mean, I don't know. I can think of people who've sort of done books on one historical topic. I'm trying to think who comes to mind. But you could also do something in the vein of, like, Patterson or something, where if you picked one specific feature of New Orleans to focus on, but let different voices come through or different things come through that you're relying on the newspaper. I mean, you could do something like that, too, which could be interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. Um, right, because that's essentially a historical book for the most part. So the personas it's just come through. on one place. So the personas come yeah, through. Like, yeah. You know, like, like pounded personae, right? Yeah. And, and that was yeah. like historical voices come through, ancient voices come yeah. through. But that was the basis for that book. The idea that like all these voices can come through the work. I mean, I mean, it would be. I mean, I think it could be a really cool book to just do something on like the streetcar strike, like a, an extended book length poem. And there's tons. You have so much material on that, so much and material. you could pull things from. Because in in addition to the news reports, right? There's op eds. There's advertisements. Advertisements. There's all kinds of things you could pull in. Like that would be a cool one to do to do that with. You know, that would be a cool yeah. And th and that's like that's like we're coming up on the centennial of that. Yeah, that would be a neat one. You know, and well, like just just as an editorial note on that, like I don't know if you remember when the Nopsy Hotel was going. Do you remember this? Like yeah, uh, the yeah, Nopsy yeah. Hotel was going up downtown. And I, and I contacted them, and I was like, I have, I have like hundreds of pages of content based on the, you know, the Nazi. The Probably history. not something they want to yeah. necessarily. And they, and they were kind of like, yeah, we don't want to talk about the streetcar worker strike. And I was like, that was like actually one of the most important moments in the history. No, of I mean that. Rome's public service. If I was gonna, <laughs> if I were gonna pick an event to do a historical book on, out of what you have, that's what I would say. Like, that'd be a cool one. And it's not something that. Outside of New Orleans, people really don't know about it. But even in New Orleans, 
people are maybe aware of it, but they don't know that much about it, right? It would be, that would be a cool book to do for sure. Would you just, yeah, I don't know, man. This is, this is, this is awesome. Cause I, I know a lot about that streetcar worker strike just cause I've like read a ton about it and it all happened, you know, it all happened like July, 1929. Like it, it's like, right. It's like, it's like, it's like right before well, and then the you Great get the Depression. Fun, and then you get the fun sidetracks of it. Like you get, you could at some point go down the sidetrack of was this the origin of the po boy and all that stuff too, which is a like side issue. But you've got all those little interesting things too. Yeah. No, there's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh this is okay. This is definitely That'd be a good, good one. I'll have to go meet with Kathy Meisel Nelson because Michael who passed away years ago was the definitive streetcar historian and she has all his research. And oh, I, and that'd bet, be cool. Yeah. I bet there would be something really cool. Be cool. He was, he was the streetcar and po'boy historian. That was his thing. Wow. So, so he was like new, you know, but you know, there's like this whole thing about the po'boy and like, you yeah. know, that there were these other, there were these other sandwiches called the, was called the pe the peacemaker or something. Something. I don't remember. It was like yeah, an oyster. I remember this. Yeah. Where it's like oysters in a bun. You know, so there, and then like you know, my and my friend, my friend and, and reporter James Karst, you know, in Times Picayune yeah, editor yeah. for years and reporter, uh, he wrote an article for the Picayune a few a few years ago that that I think that, that the title of the article was, if if the po' boy was invented in 1929, then why was then why was Louis Armstrong eating them 10 years earlier? Yeah, yeah. So I I could go into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. So I like that's No, it could be cool. And I mean, I think it would be cool to do in like a way. Where you you allow some of the parts of the poems to just be direct quotes of documents and things. No, you know? that would be yeah. great. Yeah, it would be great to bring in direct quotes of documents and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a book that I think really like Louisiana needs. No, it would be it would be really cool. It's not where we were going, but we we went there. But that's good now. No, well, it's good because it came out because we, right. we, we, we were just talking about we were just talking about you know this <laughs> idea of, of of like of like working with a poet to go in and, and giving a poet um, sort of creative license to, to to access the archive and what can come of that. And Megan isn't fixed to any one process. Like yeah. there's there's things where it's like where it's like six headlines together that are like kind of like whoa, those are really weird six headlines together. Like what the hell. And then, like, another one is just, like, one feminine product that's, like, for women, health product that she wants to dissect. And then another yeah. one's just, like, she just loves a graphic, and she wants that graphic and to dissect the graphic. So there's there's a bunch of different approaches. No, there's so much stuff to play can, with in there, yeah, can, for you know, sure. It's, yeah. It's text. Yeah. But it's also, it's also fresh because you're accessing a hundred-year-old newspaper rather than, like, something you found off the internet or – something that was going on in the news that week. It's something that was going on in the news. Well, the distance from it. A hundred years ago. That's part of what's interesting. I think anytime people are going through the papers, whether they realize it or not, that's part of what is interesting about doing it is there's so much disconnect that it's... Maybe? Which, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Because some of the stuff it's like you can't totally make sense of because of the disconnect. Some of it's funny because you don't get it. Right. Yeah. And then also some of it is, but there's also like a bit of like a time travel sort of sense of some things. Cause it's like some of it's, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, things about history, but it's usually not that granular unless you're actually a researcher who's dealing with original documents. Most people's experience of history is through very prescribed sorts of ways. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the a lot of the interesting shaggy stuff gets left out when you're doing that. Well, you know, I, now that I'm just thinking about this, like I I could I think I could totally like also like have, you know, we could I could just reach out to my friends at Poets Reading the News and and see if they could drop in a historical section because that would be pretty. Yeah, interesting. Well, you have to get you have to get culture. a bunch of people to write stuff if they're going to do that. But it well, I could cool, go yeah. into culture, you know, and yeah. uh, and uh, and politics. Yeah, but. but uh, it could, if if I based it on sort of historical things, then you know. But I think that they. Because well, I mean, you could easily set a project for yourself if you wanted to, of you're gonna once a week or once a month, whatever you decide, you could actually do, write a poem based on something in the paper. Oh, totally. The, you know, and and I think Al. But 
uh, uh, like wanted to do some, uh, some, some things with some, some older work, like, uh, dissecting some things from, um, uh, Dorothy Dix and like looking at like yeah. advice because yeah, kind of yeah, well, it's, it's really pointed and really like oh now girl like you don't want it, 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 it has an interesting twist like on it it's not always what you expect like Dorothy Dix was very kind of like a little bit like like tap on the back of the hand type like it was yeah it yeah. wasn't it wasn't like really concerned it wasn't like Christian conservative it was actually like future forward so she had this interesting advice it was always kind of like it was always kind of like um it took a different approach to like to advice to women. It wasn't like your. It wasn't like what you would think of today. So, I think that was an interesting look. We took a look at that stuff uh, just a little bit, and there was a lot to go on there. A lot to go on there. But, but anyways, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. What else do we got here this week? We've been we've been taking well, a look at were, the news. I mean, we got sidetracked, but it's because you were saying this couple who moved to town knew. Steve, Steve Dalchinsky, that's right, yeah. He just recently passed, so we were thinking to mention that a little bit and maybe maybe read a couple of his poems. I never, I don't think I ever met him or knew him. You said you think maybe you did? Um, I think maybe it's possible that I, I met him uh, at uh, this um, this uh, uh, avant-garde jazz um, avant-garde jazz thing that... Um, that uh, me and my buddies back in the day went to um, uh, at, uh, what was it? We did this thing back in the day where it was a, um, a performance at this place in New York called AS220. And it was like an avant-garde jazz performance. And we were like on the bill with some other, with some other performers. Mm-hmm. And we read. I read a little poetry over the top of the music, and I think there was another poet there who was reading on top of some music as well. And I don't know if it was Steve Dalachinsky, but I think it might have been. <laughs> I really think it might have been. But but I guess you know he was a fixture of both the poetry and music scenes in the village, and definitely inspired by the jazz, uh, the the sort of jazz poetry. But I don't know if he's necessarily would like to be considered a jazz poetry. I think. Jazz poet, I think he was he was definitely inspired by, um, of course, music and but he was a jazz scholar. That's the thing that puts him in that realm is that he was actually like a very well versed avant garde jazz person. He he living in New York for years that was his thing. He he was very into um, attending these types of crossover thing period uh, crossover type scenes. Um, but I think that he was he was a fixture in that world. And, um, and and wrote books and actually released several albums of of, uh, of poetry that was done with music and and sound. That's, so that's, so yeah. it wasn't it wasn't he wasn't just like straight up like you know a jazz poet per se. And I don't know how that can necessarily be looked. Um, Whatever that means, anyway, because there's a lot of different kinds of jazz poets. Even yeah, but, I mean, I mean, I think yeah. I think he just was a, a champion of the avant-garde. Like, I think that was his thing. He was like very into the music and and and, and observing and being uh, around there that that um that world. And it collaborated with a lot of different folks um, over the years. But I, I do I do have a, a good let's see here. Um, yeah, read his poem. A read his poems poem here that I think would be would be good to take a look at here. Let me see if I can pull one up. Pull this one up. It's called uh, The Synagogue in St. Sebastian Square. St. Sebastian Square. I want to say that that's probably in Spain. Could be. I don't know. St. Sebastian Square. I don't know, but I know there's San Sebastian in Spain. And and that's one of the, the uh, like a, a, a coastal town in northern Spain, and I think that maybe this is that, but maybe um maybe not. I don't know. The synagogue in Saint Sebastian Square. Photographs of pieces, close-ups, scab wiggled shapes, horizontal memories, drinking tea, eating jealousy, hands running wild away from the secondary thwack. Sebaceous, schooner, scuttle, atop, 
stone upon a dead black sea, awake from pillows of, of bitter salt, a secular sulker. Mosaics of Moses, Pharaoh's daughter finds bones to pick dimpled flesh loose in the bulrushes. Cemetery of dark cloth where ram stood and horn blew, crystal offshore caught in rigor, rigor caught in mast ropes. My people leave the hall and wander upward toward the statue and other false idols. Pyramid not built in a day, plague a pulley we from bully passed over, growing up a deliverer, never to enter a land of harsh promises. Crooked cabal carved in every night, betrayal of trials and caved in broken columns, contrawise clockworks, blue lady candle burn, sheep herd, crash being able to chemicalage, electric, self-enslavement, never have been sold in the market, the burning bush burning still. I am my only son. Hmm. Well, I, I liked where it got by the end. It started off such kind of like a straightforward sort of descriptive-y thing. And then it, it, it did, and then, and then it... it it's that that's the first stanza actually the first strophe it's a it's um it's just like sort of the in the the in the be the beginning and then it, and then it goes into this thing but you know like you could hear this i mean i could hear the sound that he's working with and and uh mm. the, the 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 jazz and the poetry even though it's again i don't want to call him a jazz poet but <laughs> i can hear the jazz like i can hear how this was written perhaps maybe for to go with music um yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting to consider this type of poet, right? Um, Ferlinghetti just turned a hundred this year, right? Yeah, it's like Oof. crazy, you know. But these guys are, you know, um, this is like this is like, you know, I guess I would say like it might go on a limb to say like slam is like the like the, like the logical progression from this this type of jazz poetry. But well, there's a connection, right? I mean, it does in some ways come out of it it comes out of other things too but that's one of the one of the things feeding into it for sure you know i'm i'm really interested yeah. i'm really interested cuz i know jane i know jane takes a, a little bit of a political bend on her on her poetry and uh you know like that's definitely there too you know with the jazz poetry and especially yeah. like with john sinclair and you know these uh these poets who sort of had a political you know stance and but but my question to you is this i, I think i think like uh like let's let's be real honest about this. Like when we think about um, poetry and jazz and the way that those things intersect. Like okay, like we're like think about this for a second, Joseph. Like we're in the city where jazz was born. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now that like when I talk to these jazz historians, they say, "Well, they've been playing jazz since the 1890s. They just didn't have a word for it yet." Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So like jazz, you know, this was a a colloquial and ra and rag being different. Ragtime and jazz being these. You know, Different type of things. Usually, ragtime was played on a more of a it's a more of a, a piano type driven thing, where jazz was was more of an instrumentation that came out of the brass band yeah. tradition and things like that. But do you think that young poets in new like let's just say because this is the world we know, do you think that young poets these days are are are, are open and receptive to jazz poetry or well, this type of interaction between poetry and jazz? I mean. What I don't, do you, I do think most of the young poets, that's not the way that they're interacting with poetry. But I also think it's weird, right? I mean, I also think there's a lot less jazz in New Orleans than there used to be. I think a lot of the, like if I think about even when I was younger, a lot of the clubs that I thought of as being the most interesting jazz clubs to go to don't exist. Most of the jazz going on, and that's not to say that some of it isn't good, like some of it's still really good, but now most of it is so tourist centric. Centric. The clubs that were jazz clubs that were not tourist clubs, most of them have died out. I mean, so uh, yeah. Then like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about Dixieland jazz? Are we talking about trad new trad jazz? Are we talking but, about but new all Orleans of it? Jazz? Where does most of it get played in New Orleans now? On the street. Some, some maybe there's some on the street. I mean, but I, jazz. I wouldn't say there's a lot of jazz that gets played on the street. I mean, there's some, maybe sometimes, and even that, I think you're thinking about jammy jazz. 
Yes. I think you're still. I think you're thinking about that stuff. Maybe like twelve years ago, there were people playing that on the street. That doesn't happen now. And I'm thinking like, what's going on on the street? A bunch of bullshit mostly. But I mean, there are some good musicians. But most of the good musicians, it's not jazz that they're doing. And there is some good jazz, like in a case, like that. There are people who are just good musicians, and they get gigs in the normal clubs. But like, there's only a few places of those that are not tourist destinations anymore. You know. Well, then you've got like um, you've got Doreen, and 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 you've got her. She's an exception. Like Doreen and 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 uh, and uh, uh, Lawrence. Ketchums who play with their, you know, daughter in front of Rouse's. Yeah, like, they're, yeah. they're an exception. Yeah, that really, is an exception, but they've also been doing that forever. For decades. You know, so. Totally. That's, they're like a holdover of an older time rather than what's going on right now. But, I mean, there used to be all the, you know, like, you think of Donna's and the Funky Bud and, and all these places that used to exist that were jazz clubs that weren't really for tourists. That was mostly locals going to that. I mean, that, I mean, tourists might go there, but they had to be a little brave to go there. Right. And it wasn't like... And and those same people that played there might also have played in tourist clubs, but it was a different thing. And I remember at... There did used to be a reading at Funky Butt that was an open mic, and there was a jazz band that played behind you. Okay. Like, it wasn't even planned. It was just like, that's what you did. Like, if, I mean, you come with your poems to read at the open mic, but there was a band there that played behind you. Yeah. Like, what was the setup like? It was, four, it was, it, I mean, piece, it was not, piece, five piece, I don't, I, whatever. I would say it was probably four piece. It was Three not piece, big, piece, you know, yeah. um, it was not a lot of people, but it, but it just it had a different feeling to it. And it was kind of fun, right? Even if that wasn't necessarily your thing, it was a, that that's. I mean, I always like that thing of it makes you have to read differently and think about it differently. And when you're reading over something, no matter what it is, that was a regular thing that went on for many years, you know, and it was not well attended, as I recall, but they, people still did it anyway because they thought it was important, you know, it was, you know. Yeah, I mean, when I was running a poetry uh, reading in in in, uh, in Cleveland back before I moved to New Orleans, where my hometown, I came back to Cleveland for a few years after my sojourn, uh, my my time up at UMass, and then and then my time out in California. I uh, came back to Cleveland, and one of the first things that we did is we ran, we we started this little venue called the Language Foundry, and it was like an underground apartment that I got in in in, in uh, Tremont, and it was like a block away from the literary cafe where there was already a, a, a incredible uh, poetry scene, um, you know, like features and open mics and a lot of humor, you know, interspersed uh, within the, the heaviness of, of the reading. There was like, it was like a really particular light type of reading, a light and heavy type of reading that was really contrasty and really good. But then we had like our late night readings at the Language Foundry, you know, we would have stuff that would go from like 11 until two, you know, and it was always jazz inspired. It was always like we, you know, well, and this was interesting. Yeah, was that the younger jazz musicians who were playing at like all go signs and these experimental venues, but then there were like these these guys who were like Jacob Wynn and his group. Who then now they have like the revolutionary, they have the Revolution Brass Band, like in Cleveland. You have know, a brass band in Cleveland; it's pretty cool, you know. But they were really interested in the poetry with their music because they were actually writing more compositional stuff and they were writing yeah. more like straight jazz i would call it and they were always like why don't you come read with us like we're we're playing at this like this venue with people like like just in the world we would love if you stepped up to the mic and read a poem yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, people yeah. would love it so it was interesting that like they wanted me to come out to the jazz scene and bring poetry into the jazz scene where people are there to listen to po- to, to music they thought that th- that those people and the people loved it. I don't know. That's a nice thing about it. And I mean, I think jazz in particular. But I don't think the poetry community. I guess what I'm getting lends at, itself well to that. Uh, well, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, I mean, I think it just depends. There's not a generation of young poets. There's some. Jazz, there's right some there. poets who've always been opposed to that blurring of genres, right? Um, but then there's some people who aren't, right? And I mean, even of older poets, there's some poets who refuse to read in front of music or won't. They think it sullies it in some way. But I do think, like, as far as what you're saying with younger poets, I think, like, whether you're talking about jazz in particular or music more in general, 
because people did it with other genres of music. If you are interested in blurring genres and bringing poetry to different audiences for the last, you know, <laughs> 50 years, what's the most popular thing around is music. And that's the thing people idolized as far as artists who are also popular. Now, I think music isn't that anymore for younger people as part of it, right? Like, that's not... I mean, yes, there are there are musicians who are popular, but it doesn't have the same place in the culture that it used to have. It's other things, you know? Yeah. And part of that's, like, the technological change, and I don't know, and we could spend forever dissecting that. I don't know if we're going to get anywhere. But I think it, I think music doesn't sit in the same central place of culture that it used to, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, I think, again, we're, we're like kind of like in a little bit of an exceptionalist place because like music is just so on the nose here. And it, but yeah, I, but, but it's everywhere. But it's more touristy, and, and uh, a lot of it is it can be touristy. And there's music that's not, but it's not. But still, even in New Orleans, it's different than how it used to be. And I think, but I think as a whole, like, I don't know. I don't feel like... I, I, the, the feeling that I get about all this is that I don't know if the political – because I think that like jazz and poetry like is – there is something not necessarily innately political about it, but there tends to be – like I'm just thinking about a Mary Baraka, John Sinclair, um, you know, Amtrak, Amtrak, that famous yeah, Mary yeah, Baraka. Yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that piece. But you hear – him doing that to, to I saw him play with Clyde Kerr and and and, and Kid Jordan at at Xavier years ago with yeah, Brian yeah. Boyles. We went out there and like we like I mean I have that like I, I recorded that whole session. It was amazing, but that's like the last of he's like the la almost like the end of their kind. But um, what I'm saying is I don't think that that I think that for people of that generation, jazz was tied into their political voice. And I don't think yeah. that jazz is tied into the political voice now. Maybe like we say brass band music or like, okay, like, you know. Well, but I don't think because I don't think. Glenn David Andrews marching into like City Hall with the brass band. Yeah, but I like think the that's, that's, of that that's is all, one thing. That's all interesting. But I think that's funny, right? Because I think poetry has like kind of come back to being more political again. But music mostly has not. And. Music, I mean, there are exceptions. There certainly are musicians who are being political, but music is more, at this point in time, about having mass appeal than it is about being political or avant-garde in some sort of way, right? Even, I mean, don't you, don't you kind of feel like even musicians who lean towards the political or the more avant-garde try to mute that so they can be successful, Right? Definitely, because we live in a time where being experimental and avant-garde does not it does not uh, it does not reward you in the in the mainstream dopamine hit of of the world of social media. Yeah, but but it's also like that certainly. But I mean, that's that's always true, right? You were going to be more successful in the past if you avoided that. But the other but the thing was, it used to not be cool to be successful, right? So people didn't care. You're like people were just like I wanted to make I want to make something good so I don't care yeah. if I'm successful and then sometimes they were successful anyway but <laughs> but now I think I think there's this kind of and maybe it's coming back around coming we're coming back out of that again but I do think uh, there's not like a there's not like a coolness associated with being counterculture anymore. The coolness. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that maybe like the New York City cats really held on to. Because I think yeah. that like that institution in New York maintains a certain uh in, it's like intact almost like in the, the world of the world of like, you know, like they like when they talk about in, 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 in the in the in the uh, obits of Steve Dalachinsky, they, they talk a lot about how he was a fixture in the jazz scene of New York and 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 to me you know, I, I've been to a couple. I can't say a lot, but I've I've heard a little bit of jazz in New York, like just a little bit, just a tiny little bit, like maybe like less than five shows ever in my life. And I think that the way that music is is presented and accepted and looked at there is 
is, is it's it's a different thing because I don't know if there's maybe it's more ingra- it, it's I don't know. Well, there's a culture to it, like and something I always thought was interesting about that scene is musicians have this I mean I don't know I mean I think uh, certain kinds of musicians are always like this but it, particularly in that scene there's this humility about the talent that people had and this willingness to like share that around with everyone and not you know it's not like a kind of scene where people's like I'm the best and I'm going to get up here and put, you know because it, it is about listening and working with other people and there is this kind of humbleness and humility you don't toot your own horn that much and you know that's something I always thought was nice about it but yeah I mean I think that there there was a, a certain esteem that came with it but it was an esteem that was spoken about not on the nose like not out, out righteously it was like more like oh yeah you know that guy's like the guy and you had to slowly build that you had to slowly build that it wasn't like I'm just going to be good and get up there and everyone's going to think I'm amazing all of a sudden. It was like you had to slowly build that over time. No matter how good you were, you know? It yeah. Was, you know, that kind of... I'm just curious, you know, like when we have Jane out, you know, for this poetry reading um, uh, next next month, hopefully, if she can, if she can, if we can make it work. Um, I think it's definitely something to look at to, like, consider... Hey, who are the young poets? Are there any young poets who can really identify? I'm sure someone's still doing that stuff, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. I mean, I don't think either of us would suggest that it's not happening, but it's just, I think, not as prevalent as it used to be. Right. Well, like, even, like, okay, like, what about anything at Poetry Fest that we saw? Like, there was, like, these, you know, the poets and bands thing. There's not, Well, there's none like, of those were young, number one. <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> nope, none of them were young, but even Anne's thing wasn't jazz. No, yeah, no, it's more rock. Yeah, it's or, more, it's, it's a different or thing. Or experimental you know. or whatever, and you know, or electronic or, you know, and that's fine. It's a different thing, but it's fine. Punkish, you know? yeah, like Bill's things, you know, but like, yeah, like what's, I'm just not seeing necessarily the jazz connecting to the younger generation is all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying well, I, I haven't I haven't heard I haven't heard or seen anyone in their twenties bla- uh, blasting out to doing some jazz poetry. Uh, uh, not really, you know. But I don't even know. Like, it's hard to even find places to to learn about that or listen to that anymore. I mean, the last time I think I went to a jazz show that's something current. And I loved it, and I can't even remember the dude's name. I could probably look it up right now. The the guy who played, and the main reason I went was because he did saxophone on David Bowie's last album, that Black Star album. But he came and played at, uh, and this was, you know, this was like right after that came out, so this was several years back now. He came and played at um, Snug Harbor. And it was a straight-up jazz show. You know, and it was it was good, and he's like a really good experimental saxophone player, right? But I mean, I don't know how often we live in a place where we can do it, and how often do we even? But part of it is the venues don't exist in the same way, you know. No, I used to love going to that one, even although it was too late at night. Was the only thing that bothered me that experimental one at Blue Nile they used to always have. Oh yeah, that was awesome. But like, I don't know where is that thing going on in town. Now, maybe it is, and we just don't know about it. I don't know. But I don't think it is happening. No, I don't know. You know That cross-pollination, that cross-hybrid thing, that, yeah. that, that, that weird kind of middle-of-the-mix middle, ro- middle between poetry and music type thing. And I don't know. Maybe, 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 we'll, maybe we'll see. I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have a, some, maybe yeah. Albie will come out with a bass and maybe a little drummer or something and do some acoustic thing that could be cool. You know, but I think like we, it's like, it's like uh, it's like a one step away from that like beatnik kind of like you know yeah but it's got to be dated. its own new thing too in some way but I mean it can be it can be well let's see how that goes I mean we'll, we'll I, I I'm interested to know like is there any jazz poetry happening in New Orleans I, I not 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 that I can understand or hear from like I think that are there are people who do jazz poetry but is it happening on a regular basis in New Orleans don't know yep yeah. 
What about what if I do another quick little uh, Dalachinsky poem here? Uh, you want to do that? We you can. got one? No. I mean, I was just gonna move on to the next thing, but you can do that. The first mm -hmm. cemetery of Spanish. Let me say that. The first cemetery of Spanish and Portuguese synagogue, 1656 to 1833. Inside Chinatown's thigh, near the edge of St. James' Cross by Oliver Street, and described as outside the city, lies a dark acre of nameless tombstones, a sweet and sacrilegious monument to Judaism, consecrated in 1656, cornered by brick and bridged by steel and clay, the ashes of Ashthel, dust of Dustin, this cold and dismal ash Wednesday. A triangle of empty benches, the prickly wild berry trees lining the black wrought iron spare-tipped gate, some secret inside the tomb, the vacant geometric forms, so worn and final resting. En un espacio pequeno, Solemne para Shirith Israel, a remnant of prayer for the souls of the wandering dead who now repose in God's new world. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's some that older stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, uh, I like it. You know, it's like it's like, you know, these beatnik sensibilities. I, I think they are of another time. You know, I think they are from another place and another time. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of play here with saxophone and horn and melody, um, uh, and uh, yeah, no, and I mean, I something. think you know, it's just good. We just you know, it's a shame that sometimes it takes someone passing away to to kind of bring them to people's attention but you know since that's going on i thought it, it's nice for us to kind of point that out and and share some of his poems with you today and i think he had a collection that came out i was trying to see if i could find the title of it uh last year maybe and that might be a good uh good thing to check out if you enjoyed those poems today, let's see if I can find the name of the book here. I had it a minute ago. <laughs> uh, it, it's called Where Night and Day Become One, the French Poems. Uh, and... So maybe that'd be a, a good book to check out if you enjoyed those today. And I think it was put out by... There's a few things. Uh, the, the pen, he won the Penn uh, Oakland National Book for a book called The Final Night, which is uh, Ugly Duckling Press put that out. Um, and no, then, he has a bunch of books. I was just saying, you know, there's a, there's a cur the, uh, relatively current one, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. And we'll put a link up, but... Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. And he had CDs and records and stuff. He did this uh, book, this one that's no, in complete direction. But I was just saying, maybe check out the new one. Yeah, check out the new one. Right. Yeah. And then if you like, you can go go back and delve deeper into his catalog. I didn't know this. I mean, I I know the 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 the, uh, the pianist Matthew Ship. Um, I had heard a record of his years ago that my friend sent me. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know that. Uh, that that Steve Dalachinsky did a collaboration called The Phenomena of Interference hmm. Matthew Shipp, which is cool. I, I so know you're going to have to. You're gonna, you should go check that one out. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting to see, to, to listen to. I don't, I don't know anything about it. but um, Cool. Well, let's totally change wheels for a minute, and then I guess we'll be, out, be, be done for the day. But... <laughs> And um, now to poetry in the news. Yeah, so I don't know. We were kind of we, we like to like just kind of look at what's going on in the poetry news, and this is kind of stupid, but it's also was kind of funny. I think we both ran into it, but I told you not to read it so we could make this more fun here. But this uh, British writer for Vice recently wrote this article. I faked my way as an Instagram poet, and it went bizarrely well. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we have talked about Instagram poetry on here a little bit before, and I think we're not going to get too deep into that again. I think we've kind of admitted that we're kind of confused by it and not sure if it's poetry or not, but maybe it's some, maybe we just don't get it because we're old. I don't know. But I still thought this is an amusing article, and it might be worth bringing up. So uh, this writer, whose name is Andrew Lloyd, decided he was going to just, you know, create an Instagram account with a name as a poet and see how he did. I don't read it because I'm going to see. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. All right. All right. Um, so created an Instagram account, made up a, a name that seemed sufficiently lame that it might be believed, and came up with the name Raven Stairs Poetry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, he decided to just write the poems. Um, so this is his description of what he decided to do. Oh, we'll put a link up here. This is an yeah. article in Vice, right? Yeah, this is an article in Vice. Okay. So this is. I think this, it's great that Vice is, is a, covering poetry. It's this is a quote from his article. <laughs> Writing the poems was easier than I expected. It was liberating to have absolutely zero standards. As long as it was shit, it got the green light. I used a free typewriter app to get the budget Bukowski vibe and drew some Rupi Core style doodles using Instagram's story feature. A quick screenshot and crop, and it was ready for the main feed. I used a few hashtags, not too many. I have integrity, like po hashtag poems porn. Hashtag poems about love, hashtag poet, and of course, hashtag raven. So um, he wrote about 40 poems in the first week, and he was getting about 50 likes on each post, even in that first week. Um, and he said by the end of the week, he already got 281 followers, which was more than he had at his actual <laughs> Instagram account. <laughs> um and that he was getting a bunch of positive reactions to it. At the end of two weeks, he had 350 uh, followers. So pretty fast, pretty fast. So I thought it would be funny. But he was purposely trying to write the worst stuff he could possibly write in some ways. But I thought it might be fun. Let's see if you can tell the difference between and Andrew Lloyd, Raven Stairs, made-up Instagram poems, and a very popular one. Let's use Atticus that kind of famous Instagram poet. <laughs> so. Fuck. <laughs> well, obviously, I don't think... Obviously, I don't think you're really going to be able to tell the difference, but I thought it'd be interesting. All right, so I'm going to read you five short little Instagram poems, and you're going to tell me if you think it's okay. the fake Instagram poet or this real, actual, popular Instagram poet. Love could be labeled poison, and we'd drink it anyways. I think it's the Instagram poet. I think that's Raven. The, the fake one or the real one? I think it's fake. Okay, the fake one. Okay. Wait, the, okay, yeah, you're saying fake is the Raven. Fake or real? You're, fake. Raven's the fake one. Atticus is the real one. Fake. All right, we're going to do five, and I'll tell you how you did at the end. All right, what about... If love is a crime and then call me a criminal, I can't lock away these feelings for you. Real. All right, all right, one more. Let's do three more. Uh, the rain drips, but I'm safe between coffee sips. Thank you. From the moment I saw her, I knew this one was worth a broken heart. Real. Let's do one more, one more. Love is a drug that you can't prescribe. Love is a rain that pours inside. Fake. All right, you... you you started off really badly, but then you then you started doing well. So you got three correct, two wrong. Huh. Um, the first one was the real one, 
I was said it was Atticus. fake. You said it was fake. The second one was fake. You said it was real. <laughs> then the rest you got right. <laughs> the third, third one was fake. The fourth one was real. The fifth one was fake. But uh, you know, so but <laughs> um, he did this, and it was pretty successful. And he said he was. So this is from later in the article. Then he says, so he did this for four weeks. So. So week three, he said, I'm, I was extremely confused. I did everything I could to make these poems as bad as possible, and they were bad. It's not like I'm some poetry prodigy who can't help writing beautiful verses. I wrote stuff like, they may be sly as a fox, but you can take it. You're as strong as an ox. The kind of drivel that would get you kicked out of year five for not trying hard enough, but it was somehow connecting with people on a genuine level what was going on. Um, and strangely... He he. So he decided he wanted to see if it was uh, see if he could if if he's just you know random people fooling or not. So he uh, he commented on a post by the real Instagram poet we were just saying Atticus the poet and Atticus poetry who has one point two million followers and said, "What did you think of my poems?" And he responded, "Responded, amazing work." <laughs> What is, okay. <laughs> so, but weirdly, this guy's uh, conclusion is still kind of positive about Instagram poetry by the end of it. He says, uh, you know, obviously the reason people like it is because it's not complex and they don't really want to spend the time reading poetry. They just want something that they can quickly look at and, and read and all of that. Um, but he still comes away saying, it turns out this stuff's easy to fake, but that doesn't mean the reaction of the readers isn't real and valid. And as a wise poet once said, quoting himself, his fake poems, that's the thing about feelings. You have to feel them. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, how terrible. I want to go to this guy's po Instagram account. Does, does he have the Instagram account? Well, I don't know, but it's it's Raven Stairs Poetry, if it's still up. Raven Stairs Poetry. Let's uh, let's just take a look. If it's here. still up, let's that's what it'll be. On the um, IG right now. I mean, dude, what is happening? You know. Well, I mean, I just I think it's something we've talked about before. Yeah, whatever is going on with the with the Instagram thing. I don't know. Like, it's just a whole different scene. And, you know... Okay, look. He still only has... Well, he stopped doing it after four weeks. I don't, is it still going? Is he still posting these things? After revealing that it was fake? He never really got any more than 100 likes. So maybe not as popular as... Yeah, but how many followers does he have? 700? I mean, that's a good amount. And for, 48? For, that's a good amount for four weeks of... I'm pretty sure our No Good Poetry podcast Instagram does not have 700 followers, even though we don't also don't post to it that much, but... But, I mean, it is something we never talked about with this is, I mean, I wonder how it would change if you didn't call it poetry at all. If people were posting those same things and didn't call it poetry. I think, number one, people wouldn't like it as much. If you were just posting that stuff and saying it was, oh, aphorisms or something, people wouldn't like it as much. Part of what people like about it is the idea that it is poetry. But also, poets wouldn't be so mad. The other poet, poets who are real poets wouldn't be so mad about it if it wasn't called poetry either so a lot of it has nothing to do with anything it's just like this weird like tribal signaling bullshit right on both sides i think he got caught in it i think he's still doing it you think he's he, there's new ones what's the most recent no he's still doing it what's the most recent Because this one says from one day ago and then, yeah, and then, so. and then, and then, so he's still doing it. So what? this article came out last week. Yeah. So he's still doing it. What's the most recent? Four one? Four hours ago. What's the most recent one? You are the star that shines the brightest. 
you pull me in like gravity. Is there space in your life for me? (laughs) (laughs) How many likes did I get? 37. (laughs) People would drown in your thoughts if, if they understood how deep they are. They were. 49. Float as if you were nothing made of nothing. Oh, we might have to just put a ban on ever talking about Instagram poetry again. It's a, No, it's too late because I just messaged him and said if we, if oh, we, if asked, we could have him on. Well, I, mean, I asked if we could interview him for the talk about it. But I mean, I just I think the thing about it is really the more I think about it is, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Obviously, we don't like it, but I don't it doesn't really bother me either that people are doing that. That's fine if they want to do that. Go for it. But uh, I also think it's probably just, it's like using the name poetry, but it's not really poetry, right? It's, it's a different, it's a different <laughs> thing. It's, it's using the name it's, it's poetry. It's a different form. It's yeah, a different it's form. it's its own thing, really. Like, I don't know that it really should be called poetry. Yeah. It it uh I mean is it poetry yes is it is it is it is, is it, it poetry I mean I don't know I don't know if it is, is I think it it's const- kind of its own thing is right it constrained within but I mean I, you can call anything poetry and not be totally wrong you know <laughs> you know and that's part of why you can do that right but it's its own very specific genre with its own very specific thing that it's doing I don't know. But anyway, I thought it was it was a funny little project that this guy tried to do that. So it was kind of interesting to talk to today. That'd be you know, if he decided to be on the podcast, that'd be cool. But I doubt that's gonna happen. We'll, we'll see. see. I just messaged him and it's like, say, hey, what the hell, you know? Uh... So I don't know. But we 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 talked about a bunch of stuff today. I guess we were kind of all over the place. That's all right. I think we're gonna try to have a guest again. Maybe, maybe this time. Maybe this will turn. Maybe uh... maybe it'll be him. Maybe me messaging him, uh, maybe it'll turn into us getting getting a written up on Vice for our podcast. Well, you never know, but I think that's highly unlikely. <laughs> but, yeah, I think we'll uh, try to come back with a guest, not next week, but the week after that. I, I think we have so many people who have voiced interest in being um, on the show. We have some guests we, we, that are, are lined up. We just haven't scheduled it yet, uh, so maybe that'll work out. Truth. Um, and I guess we'll – oh, you know what? I don't know why this just suddenly came to mind, and – Happy birthday, Marjorie Perloff. It's it's her birthday today for some oh, reason. Oh, really? Uh, I don't know. I think I just noticed that huh. online. Um, apropos Great. of nothing. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see y'all not next week, but the week after that. You get that. All right.